you know, suffering is necessary in order to, as you point, as you said poignantly in the beginning, to break through to a different place, to play, to uncover something. It's like there was this great story I was once told. It's like if you're going to um, teach a room full of people, understand that. You know, and they use the analogy that if you have trees planted on a mountainside and they're all pointed perfectly upwards in one direction, over time, if if yep. the wind blows from one direction at 100 k's an hour, what happens with the trees? They bend. They take on the properties of the pressure, the suffering that is applied to them. How's it, guys? So on this episode of the Map Rancher, I'm privileged and honored to be joined by none other than Sterling Hawkins live on the line from L.A. in the United States. Sterling speaks at length about innovation and business. Um, He's been featured in Forbes, the New York Times, and he's also an award-winning keynote speaker. In this episode, we cover at length the idea of suffering in your life and how you can find meaning through what we call the struggle. We also talk about, um, you know, uh, the future of business as it relates to innovation and something quite interesting uh, that he calls the innovation cycle and how it relates to your engine room for in unlocking personal change. So without further ado, enter Sterling Hawkins. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to yet another cracking installment. That's probably your 10th installment this year, so congratulations. Uh, but with me today as part of our international uh, curation of amazing talent, uh, with me on the line from LA is none other than Sterling Hawkins. Welcome to the show, dude. Thanks, man. Good to be with you. Likewise, man. So, breakthrough innovation, keynote speaker, workshops, traveling all around the world. I think I think this coronavirus is kind of fucking up your vibe right now, hey? So, all these events being canceled and so on and so forth. How does it make you feel? That's right. Uh, well, at first, I was a little bit beat up about it because about half the events I've got coming up have rescheduled. And I was like, wait a second. This is kind of what I'm about is you know, these problem areas are things that don't go exactly as planned to use them as opportunities for something new. So, you know, right now we're taking a look at it to say, okay, great. You know, what does that mean for us? How can we embrace that and, you know, maybe create something better from it? Yeah, exactly. So um, we're going to talk about innovation in a different sense. I think um, the the word right. innovation was kind of married to disruption some time ago. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've read so many books on the subject of innovation um, that um, I think the the subject has kind of been done to death. But today, we're going to talk about to we're actually going to talk about the innovation that really actually fucking matters in my world, which is a different kind of innovation, and that's actually got to do with you. So, um, why don't you set this one up for us? What's the premise for what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, well, uh, innovation I define it as a significant positive change. And as you said, it's gotten looped in with not just uh, disruption, but technology. Like, what's the next technology disruption? Innovation, in my mind, can certainly be those things. But it's a very limiting view of where significant positive change can happen and, and why. And so if we look at personal relationships or financial performance or um, friendships, all of that can be inside of how do we significantly positive change or apply that to these different areas in our life. And the premise of where I stand with the whole thing is that discomfort is actually necessary, whether it's pain, embarrassment, whatever it might be, it's a necessary predecessor to that breakthrough, whatever it might be, whether it's in business, your personal life and technology or any other area. 
Yeah, it's um, it's uh, but people don't like being uncomfortable. You know, they like to kind of. Don't you find that they like to um, hold on to the status quo? <laughs> Shit. Totally. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> I have a five-year-old running around the studio. Outside, go. I've got Sterling Hawkins on the line, my girl. <laughs> We're in the middle of something very important. It's innovation, damn it. It's happening here on the Mafron show. <laughs> Yeah. So, so going back um, to the status quo, like, why do people hold on to that, even even yeah. if it doesn't serve them? Uh, well, I think for a couple of reasons, because it's it's easy and it's known. You know, you don't really have to do much to continue on the status quo. You just need to keep doing what you're doing. So you don't need to be uncomfortable. You don't have to learn anything new. You don't have to do much outside of what you've already done. It's very easy. It's very predictable, at least until it's not. <laughs> and I don't think. So they just go along with it because they don't realize that it's their own comfort, their protection, their own comfort that's kind of keeping them in that space, you know? And yeah. that's, that's part of what I get out there and talk about is say, no, it's, it's your personal discomfort that's your access to the breakthrough in business or in your life or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, that's that make a, sense? it does, 100%. I, I wrote a book about this kind of thing. And uh, one of the things yeah. that uh, was told to me, poof, probably like three or four years ago, um, was that your breakdowns are always your breakthroughs. And, um, 100%. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, life's always happening for you. It's not happening to you. It's only your perspective that matters. Um, and I'm always fascinated to get, right. um, you know, kind of re- very reputable uh, people such as yourselves with just like, what's your view? Is what is what I write about seen as the truth in on the other side of the pond, if that makes sense? Uh, I think within different groups it is uh, it almost takes a personal revelation to be able to embrace this stuff truly and you know it happened myself i've had a couple of tech startups i've been you know big in the tech business scene here in the u.s at least and had some very successful ones a couple that uh, certainly weren't and coming out of this last one the business wasn't doing so well. I had some family things were falling apart. My girlfriend broke up with me. It was like everything bad happened right in this like three month period of time. Uh, And it was like forced discomfort. Mm -hmm. And it was inside of that. I said, okay, well, you know, my mom said the way out is through. It it was actually Robert Frost. But I remember my mom told me that when I was a kid and growing up, it was one of the most memorable phrases she would repeat to me. And, And so at this point in my life, I said, well, you know what? what can I do that I'm scared of? You know, if I need to go through something, what is that? And it was actually public speaking. I was terrified to do it at the time. I applied to speak at this conference in Singapore, practiced a ton, was still terrified, did it, did a great job, and it opened up a whole new career. And it was almost like that was a reawakening for me to realize, oh, yeah, discomfort is not only optional. It's not a nice to have. It's necessary for that. And I think that's the case with most people. You almost have to get hit in the face with it before you wake up and you say, oh, oh yeah, this is good for me. It's good for my life. What's come out of that is a significant change, mm. hopefully positive. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, for me, I, I'm I'm very much a black or white type of person. You know, so you either, it's either yeah. this way or it isn't. And sometimes it's gray. But if you want to operate from a place of power, it's either black or it's white. You can't be on the fence about making a change. You know, and to your point, 
It's like, I believe you only have suffering. You have, but it's like, oh, you don't. What about the time when? It's like, yeah, but okay. But 99% of the time, the majority of the time, all you have is suffering. So if you have, yeah. as, as a business owner, suffering, if you're a public speaker with the fear of speaking, you know, uh, or the fear of being judged or whatever the case is, it's suffering. You know, if Maverick and Q here, their suffering is working for me and producing the show, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that bad over there, huh? It's it's horrible. They had the hairdryer treatment this morning, but um, but it, but but you know, suffering is necessary in order to, as you point, as you said poignantly in the beginning, to break through to a different place, to play, to uncover something. It's like there was this great story I was once told. It's like if you're going to um, teach a room full of people, understand that. You know, and they use the analogy that if you have trees planted on a mountainside and they're all pointed perfectly upwards in one direction, over time, if if yeah. the wind blows from one direction at 100 k's an hour, what happens with the trees? They bend. They take on the properties of the pressure, the suffering that is applied to them. So, so, but it it becomes something that is permanent as a result. It's the same way of diamonds. It's like the you know the earth basically applies pressure to something that then creates an outcome which is perceived as something valuable. As a startup, you have to survive. You have to create and go through the suffering of cash flow and and not being able to pay your staff and blah 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 and the inner fear and doubt that goes along with starting a business in order to be successful. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so, and everywhere I yeah. look in nature, there's suffering. It's like everywhere I look, when you see the insights, it's suddenly you see it everywhere. It's like when you see a new car, <laughs> you know, you see that your yeah. car that you want, you now see the same Audi, Audi RS3 or whatever it is everywhere. You know, it's like that same thing. It's the insight and suddenly it becomes part of who you are. Um, what do you yeah. say? What do you, what's your view on suffering as, as a human today? I mean, you've got coronavirus, you've got, you know, the markets in free fall. Walk us through your view on the suffering and, and how do we break through suffering? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right. Suffering is everywhere, but it's only humans that talk about it as suffering. You know, if you've got, um, you know, a lion on the savannah in Africa chasing gazelles and it misses 10 of them, it doesn't walk back to its pride feeling all upset and beat up about itself. And I don't know if I can get back out there and gosh, maybe catching gazelles isn't for me. It doesn't feel bad about it. It just goes out and tries an 11th time and a 12th time and a 13th time. And it's really only humans that would talk about that as suffering or as failure. You know, a diamond doesn't care that it's under pressure. It's just under pressure and it becomes something new. But there's this, interesting thing with humans where I think a lot of people think they've got things figured out and not that they don't, but until you go through kind of pushing that out into the world and having the world push back on you, can you start to see what the truth is? And that's part of the reason why I think it's so necessary is there are these incredible ideas in all these great minds throughout the world, many of which we don't know. The majority of the great thinking in this world, we're not aware of. Because it takes pushing it out in the world and having the world push back at you that doesn't feel good to start to arrive at something that's actually true in the world. And so I think you're right. It's not so much suffering for the sake of suffering, but the fact that we get to do some of these things. You know, we have this consciousness on this planet. We, we're allowed, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 plus. And whatever we're going through is really a kind of a form of joy. And can we embrace it no matter how good or how bad we think it is? 
to get out whatever that truth might be. Mm. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I, I very much share the same the same view. But what you get you get protagonists though that will say, "Well, suffering isn't necessary." Can you imagine a world where there was no suffering? Why would we choose that? Over, you know, um, choosing a world with yeah. suffering or if, it, you know, I want my life to be, you know, the full box of chocolates and the roses on the side. You know, I don't, I don't want the suffering. Yeah. You know, I just, I just want the yeah. perfect marriage. Why do I need to have a marriage with suffering in it? You know, that's yeah. not good for kids. It's not good for me. It's not good for anything. What do you say to the protagonist? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like a world like that, too. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's uh, a great ideal. I just don't think it's possible. You know, humans, I believe, in a large capacity are built for growth, are built for, you know, kind of how we're talking about it, embracing discomfort, balancing the chaos of the world with the order that we can speak and create out of it. And if we're not pushing the edges of our own growth, then well, we, we start to dismantle it ourselves. You know, I've seen people, even close friends, in really great relationships, but they don't push on each other. There's no like pushing the other person for growth. And I heard a stat on it one time. I'm, I'm not going to get the numbers right, but it's something like couples that argue – more than 30 times a week end up getting a divorce. But also if they argue less than five times a month, they end up getting a divorce. Now, those numbers aren't right, but it's something about that, right? Like it approximates that to say, like, yeah, even in our personal lives, we need something to kind of push us towards that positive gain. And it's only us that look at it and say, well, that's not good. If you guys get into a fight or you push on each other, that's not a good thing. Well, maybe it is. Mm. And I, I think we can start to take the viewpoint that suffering is not necessarily bad or how, how would I say this? That if we embrace suffering, it actually gives us some good. And if we're doing something about it, it gives us some good. Yeah. I, I think suffering when you just kind of crawl in a hole and back up from it, it's not good for anybody. You need the appropriate support. You need to kind of put yourself back out there. But if we can embrace it, it's a necessary piece because we don't live in just a perfect world. 
nor can we. Our biology is just not built for that. Yeah. Um, I read, uh, or I, I didn't actually read it, so I listened to it. It was uh, the, a book by yeah. um, Victor E. Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if you've ever read that or come across it. But essentially, essentially it's, um, it's his account of surviving the Nazi concentration camps. And he was yeah. a, a psychologist, <clears throat> and um, he made, he actually was treated, I would say, a little bit better than, say, other prisoners of, of war at that time, in that he had a skill set, which was, um, he was obviously a psychologist, and he was basically working with prisoners to help them deal with the suffering of being in a concentration camp. And he yeah. was also dealing with the guards because they had like wife problems and whatever. They also had their own stuff or whatever. But it's a fascinating account of suffering, the worst kind, where people would, yeah. would literally be dying around you, where you didn't know at any given point in time whether you would survive. And he speaks, at, at, uh, he speaks about the human dynamic of hope and the process of finding meaning in suffering in that the only people that survived had hope that the suffering that they were enduring would pass. He said the moment, there was this one prisoner who, um, who believed for some reason that on the 1st of February, 1945, he would be released. Okay. And when that day came and went, two days later, he died. And they basically explained it away that it was an immune issue or whatever. But he said the guy was fine for years in that camp. And the day that he lost hope, he literally shut down and died. And only two months later did they close that camp. So it was a bit crazy, wow. right? Yeah, I mean, just a crazy, crazy story. So if you are interested in, in you know, figuring out what does meaning actually mean and the role of suffering in the human existence, I highly recommend reading that book. But the, but the thing for me, it is about the meaning. Yeah. It's about the meaning that underpins the suffering that matters. And it's only when you start to resist the fact and you, and you have the inability to surrender to your suffering, that is when you hurt. That is actually when you hurt. That's right. You know? But yeah, if you well, can, it, to your point, just one thing, if you can accept the fact that you are suffering, that's when you start to find, to your earlier point, you break through and you start to find the reason why. That's right. Yeah, well, and I, I think what you're talking about there is not necessarily hope, but it's really more of a faith. And if you think about it, if you try it on for yourself, you know, when you are hopeful about something, you don't really do anything about it. It probably doesn't change your actions. You just hope. And hope, but faith, on the other hand, if you've got faith something is going to happen tomorrow, it's actually going to change your ontology. It's going to change how you act how you behave, the things that you do, how you say things, the place that you're speaking from, because you have faith, like ultimate faith that that thing is going to happen. So it's a very different thing. And I think it's the faith that you, know, you can kind of put your suffering inside and say, yeah, there is some underlying meaning here. And maybe it's not as a society or an individual happiness that we're looking for. Like that's not the pinnacle of what we're striving to achieve in this life. It's, well, making a difference. Mm. And happiness is the byproduct of it. It's not the goal. Yeah. Do you think we should pursue happiness? Or do you think we should pursue... Don't. You don't. Thank you. No, I, I think it's, in, it's very hard to pursue intangible things. Right? You can see somebody happy, 
but you can't really point to it in the world and say, oh yeah, I want to go get that happiness like you're getting a soda at the store. But you can make a difference in the world. You can say, okay, well, I'm going to you know, uh, feed these people that are in poverty or I'm going to support these women that uh, are in the shelter or I can volunteer here or spend some time there and make a visible, tangible difference in the world. That yeah, it might be uncomfortable to do, but at the same time, your result from that, I think oftentimes is going to be happiness. You know, when you're chasing something in the real world to make a difference, that's where you can actually see some results. If it's all in our head to say, yeah, I want to go after this elusive happiness that you can't like reach out and touch. It makes it very convoluted in our own heads. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I actually think it's a futile game. It's a byproduct of of choosing something else. Um, it's about right. goal, it's about goal attainment, I think. Um, but I think mm-hmm. what what I've recognized is it's about the tension between who one is and who one could be, and that's where meaning yeah. can be found. And the thing is, people don't choose to make a difference necessarily. They they believe that they're good people, and that's fine. But there's a big difference between believing that you can make a difference. To actually making a difference, it's like um, yeah. it goes to this whole idea of why do you do what you do? You know, what does get you out of bed in the morning? I'm going to ask you that question at the end of the day, and I'm, I can almost tell you now that I can know what your answer is kind of going to be about, which will be about <laughs> contribution, right? That's right. It of is course. right. But every successful person, uh, mate, I've had on this fo- this uh, phone, this fucking podcast, <laughs> uh, you know, is is has always every single time they've said it's about making a difference. You know, and I don't know whether that's because right. there's a microphone in front of them or whatever, and you know, um, whether they're lying through their teeth. But I don't believe that to be the case. I think it is genuinely a fact that if you choose to become more than what you believe you can be, people will see that and resonate with that. And when that happens, that's when you start things start to unlock for you. Have you found yeah. that to be the case? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's it, human potential is a very interesting thing to me mm-hmm. because it's not yet real, but we talk about it like it is where you might say to somebody, you have so much more potential than you're using. Or we talk about it in business, like this has the potential to, like intellectually, we get it and we treat it like it's a real thing. But innately, we just know so much more is possible, not just for us, but other people and the difference that we can make in the world. But it does take kind of bumping up against some kind of discomfort, maybe even some kind of suffering to arrive there. Yeah, I was once um, Rich. I was talking to a friend of mine, Rich Maholland, and he's part of an organization yeah. called the Entrepreneurs Organization, or EER. I don't know if you know, if you heard of them. I, I know it well. Yeah, I just spoke with the founder in Orlando two oh, days really? ago. Okay, well there you go. Yeah. So he was at at an EER event in the states somewhere. It could have been LA, um, but he was on stage, and then there was a. I can't. I'm not going to remember this guy's name. But he was a very reputable yeah. entrepreneur, part of EO. He could have even been like the founder or something like that. He was like very well known, very, very well respected. And uh, Rich yeah. was sitting there in the audience. And um, this guy, basically, I'm going to misquote him, of course. But um, he said something to the effect of success can only be defined to the degree within which you fulfill your, your potential. And, yeah. and, you know, and when he, when he heard that, he, he, re- he realized for the first time that he hadn't even come close. And he was sitting in that audience and he started crying. 
like uncontrollably, just like it was one of those life-defining holy shit moments which don't come around very often. Um, and because he suddenly realized, yeah. well, you know, you know, I haven't fulfilled my potential, you know, and God forbid if anything happened to me, like I don't believe I fulfilled my potential. And well, how about you? Have you do you believe that yeah. you fulfilled your potential, and to what extent? No, I I don't even think I'm close either. Yeah. Um, and that is part of what gets me out of the bed in the morning. I think I'm barely scratching the surface. And I, I don't know, just go back to what you were saying for a second. There's this interesting thing about uh, leadership in general, as it has to do with discomfort and innovation and everything else. And it's this idea where when you are uncomfortable, other people can see you standing for than your own discomfort, if that makes sense. You see it with somebody like Malala, who you know repeatedly threatened and shot by the Taliban in Afghanistan, right? And all of a sudden, she's a leader. We follow her because we realize she's standing up for something bigger than herself. And that points to what you were just talking about there, right? With there's so much more available for me, for her, for really anybody that is just continually stepping into that gap between where we are, the linear trajectory, the status quo that we're on, and what is possible, what's exponentially possible. But that's the thing. How do you know what's possible for you? You know, it's like, it's like I think I find, I find a lot of yeah. people expect things from life, whereas yeah. it's actually what can life expect from you? And I think this, this woman, this... <laughs> No, but That's it's good. true, right? Because it's you, yeah. it's actually it's a thing. Like in couples counseling, which I you know most, most everybody should be like going to a shrink of some kind. <laughs> like I find the world's just pretty fucked up right now. But um, but it's like like yeah. my wife and I went to to like a relationship um sort of person whatever, and uh, she's like the fir- one of the first things she said was write down your expectations. Write it down. What do you expect from from her and you and vice versa, and then and then it was like super revealing because the thing is if you meet your what is happiness happiness is is expectations minus reality equals your happiness it's a weird thing <laughs> no but it's true right yeah. but the thing is you have these these like weird unconscious expectations that life should do shit for you when actually it's the other way around but you get stuck in this one paradigm or school of thought you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a kind of entitlement and I get stuck in it myself. I mean, it's, I think it's a very human thing to say, wow, I've done these 10 things. I should have some result, mm. but why, you know, there's no physics that tell you that yeah. and really physics kind of define the visible world around us. And as we're interacting with that to say, yeah, I think what your therapist does is genius, by the way, you know, subtract the, different things that you expect that aren't necessarily real and let's add in what's actually happening. Well then, yeah, that's the foundation of a great relationship. But it's so simple, right? But we spend (laughs) years, isn't it crazy? We make it so difficult. Exactly. We we make it almost impossible. It's like, and we overthink things and then the mind like takes you on this nice little garden path of pain and suffering. (laughs) You know, it's a horrible place to be. Yeah. Well, there's some interesting brain science around what we're talking about. And I'm you know, not a brain scientist or a doctor or anything else, but I am fascinated by it. And 
our conscious mind can look at about 50 bits of information every second. And, you know, a bit of information is a kind of packet of information. Any idea how much our unconscious mind can process in that same second? No idea. Just take a guess. But it's ridiculous. 11 million bits. In a second. In a second. So we're looking at 50. Like consciously, we see 50 Uh bits. Uh Uh But our unconscious mind, what our body is taking in is 11 million bits. Sure. So the piece of reality that we're looking at is essentially nothing. It's like 0.00045% conscious. Maybe I got the math a little bit wrong there, but you get the idea. Mm. You know, you've got an entire room available to you and you're looking at something the size of a pinhead. Mm. And then we get all beat up when somebody doesn't see the pinhead exactly the same way that we do. Well, Well, of course they wouldn't because look at how much more is potentially there. And that's what I always, you know, come back to myself and with clients when we're talking about their viewpoint or what's possible for, for them is, yeah, you actually can't know what's possible for you. It's to some degree infinite. But what are we going to do? What's the next possibility that we're going to step into? And then new results and ideas are going to open up from there. Well, and to kind of bring it full circle around to the discomfort piece. I think when we're under pressure as a company, as an individual, that disparate ideas that are floating around our head, some are at right, some might be incorrect, but whatever the idea, when we're under pressure, disparate ideas have a chance to come together that would probably otherwise never have a chance. Yeah, I love that. Those ideas coming together from different areas of our life, different thinking, different things that we haven't seen before. Yeah, that's what produces the result. And um, the one of the I'm on your Twitter page. I love this quote here you put out yeah. here on on recently. It's like an idiot with an innovation cycle can beat a genius with even the best <laughs> idea. Yeah. yeah, well, that comes from a, a Warren Buffett quote. Warren Buffett oh, really? says, um, "An idiot with a plan can beat a genius without one." And I, I think he's right. But you know what I was riffing on there is this idea of anybody regardless of your mental capacity, physical capacity, or anything else, anybody that continually has a process for themselves to significantly, positively improve what they're doing will make progress. You cannot, mm. right? Yeah, no, I agree you with you. cannot make progress if you're continually trying to massively improve yourself. It might not be exactly what you look better than where you're at. Totally, totally agree. But what is an example when you say our focus should be on our own innovation cycle? Because I suppose we're kind of touching on the on the suffering and the breakthrough and the and, and motivations behind, like you know, how do you go from A to B and, and endure the suffering of life and and in the attainment of a goal with search for meaning and all these things. So I want to get your view on um, on what next. So you know, we've we've, yeah. we've got them to this point, right? Which is okay. I, I want to make a change. I want to break through. I want to achieve this thing. What is the role yeah. of of an innovation cycle, like a personal innovation cycle? I like that concept. What explain that to me? Yeah. Well, uh, there's four pieces to it. The first is kind of assessing where you're at and speculating on possibilities that might come from it. Now, this is not an intellectual part. It's more like what ideas, what thinking, what could you do that you'd be excited about? You know, 
Is it running a marathon? Is it speaking in public? Is it saying that thing to your dad that you you haven't said in 30 years? Whatever it is, what lights your fire? And then the next step is curating down to, well, what is it exactly that you're going to do next? And for me, and I think for many people, this is one of the hardest parts because you have to sacrifice the infinite potential of I can be anything and do anything tomorrow to I'm going to do this. So you actually kill potential, sacrifice potential for the frame of actuality, which you're going to execute on. And then, of course, you have to do it, which seems easy. But oftentimes we confuse other things for action when they're just busy work. You know, if I'm committed to running a marathon, I get might get stuck in, oh, well, I met the marathon coach that's going to help me. Well, they might. That's not really action. Or you have a brainstorm around, oh, here's the new uh, training plan that I'm going to take. Well, fantastic. But you're still not taking the action that's going to make the difference, which is getting out there and running. Mm. So we'll look for things to kind of take away the discomfort of actually doing the thing that's going to make the difference mm-hmm. because, well, you know, everybody's human. Nobody likes discomfort. So we look for other things. So it's important that we do the thing that we say we're going to do. And then we look back on it and we measure and assess the results and share the results. Uh, sharing the results when they're positive is really easy to stick with the marathon example. Oh, I ran five days this week. I kept up with the plan, but sharing the results actually only matters when you don't, when there's a failure. And this is particularly important in companies. Companies that can't share failure will purposefully avoid failure, Hmm. which means there will be no innovation in the future. If you don't have leadership that's showing it's okay to fail as an individual, as a company, well, then everybody's going to hide those measurements that make the difference. That's true. And then the whole thing feeds back into itself where you say, okay, now we've measured something. What's next possible from here? And around and around the cycle you go. Mm. It's very interesting. I've also on your Twitter, you were on stage with the CEO of Hy-Vee, the $10 yeah. billion dollar supermarket, um, mm-hmm. talking about the, the kind of sentiments that you're tabling here. Um, and on best, I like what you said. I like kind of where we went in terms of expectation and then action, because which is the second point there that you've been talking about. Is that, um, have you read a book called The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone? Of course, yeah. He just had his conference, and I think it was in LA. Really? I missed it. Everyone yeah. lives in LA, basically. It's the center of the universe. That's the takeout for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I forget his name, but somebody had a great quote. If you turn the world on its side and you shake it, everything that falls down to the bottom ends up in LA. <laughs> That's a good one. Maverick needs to quote that yeah. timestamp. Um, yeah, so, so anyway, so the 10X rule, uh, Grant was basically saying that let's say you decide to, let's use the marathon example. You're going to run yeah. a marathon. So the moment yeah. you decide that you're going to run a marathon, your brain immediately assigns expectation to that goal. And the gap between the expectation, so let's just say, if you think that it's going to be a certain degree of suffering in order to attain that goal, let's just say you think it's a five out of 10. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But actually, it's a nine out of ten, which probably definitely would be for me. Probably like eleven out of ten. Um, then the difference between those things is why people stop uh, suffering. They choose not because they they banked that it would be far easier, right, to achieve this goal than it actually is, and therefore they don't take sufficient action to meet that goal. So they'll only train once or twice a week or three times a week when they should be running six days a week. So like, um, yeah, so I'm actually training for like a 300 kilometer, it's a, what is that in miles? Like 200 mile type uh, three day mountain bike race. And so it's the same, wow. it's the same thing for me in that, um, you know, most people won't finish that race because of the same principles. They don't think they need to train as hard than that they actually, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they won't take sufficient action. So his whole thing is, if you want to achieve something, make it 10 times harder in your mind. And then take 10 times the action. I, I found that as a formula to be completely sound and, and makes rational sense. Have you encountered the same kind of thinking in your work? Yeah, totally. I, I think that works. Uh, because it's very easy to get disempowered. Uh, but that's also where the sharing your results comes in. Right. As you've got a community of people around you, whether it's friends, family, your business associates, your significant other, whatever it is that they can kind of call you to the bat and say, hey, you said you were going to run five times this week and you ran four. What happened? And then talk about it, not from uh, a perspective of you're bad and wrong and you screwed this up and what's the matter with you, but more, yeah, well, let's uncover why you didn't make it out there the fifth time and how can I support you to get out there five times next week? The only downfall of the make it 10 times harder right out of the gate is that it's easier to get disempowered by it. And if you don't have that construct, the support network around you, if it's 10 times harder than you already think it is, well, <laughs> I'm never going to make it. Why should I get out of bed in the morning? Hmm. So there's this balance between the hill you've got to climb and the support that you've got around you and kind of making sure those things are in equilibrium because, well, they need to be. Mm. Our human potential is kind of a function of the environments we put ourselves in. And as we've got people that can support us, fantastic. But if we get disempowered and we're alone and by ourselves and not talking to anybody of it, it's a dangerous place to be in. 100%. I think I love that. I love the fact that you've touched on the social support sort of angle to that because if I think about um, digital Kung Fu as a business, it is 10 times bigger than I ever thought it would be. Um, and, yeah. and I would like, I could never That's do great. that. I could never do that. I could never do that on my own, you know? Um, and so you need to have that team. You need to have that support structure, but I find a lot of people don't have it or they don't, yeah. or, or maybe probably worst of all, they're, they're not prepared to ask for help. Yeah. Well, I think there's this illusion, especially modern day, that there's this self-reliance. Like if I can't have somebody else do it, I'll just do it better myself. Or if you screw it up, I'll, I'll do it. Well, at the same time, we're relying on literally millions of people around us, you know, to make these microphones and the cameras and keep the internet running and the water flowing in your house and everything else. And you don't see all those millions of people, but you're reliant on them. And so, you know, going back to kind of our view, our very small view of reality, we see the people that are immediately around us. And, well, sometimes we can pull away from them 
because, well, I'm going to do it better by myself, or I'm going to figure it out, or I don't want to be embarrassed, so I'm not going to share the results with you. And really, that's the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. Mm. We are completely and totally dependent on those around us, and we always will be. And it's really sharing yourself and what's happening with you that's going to give you the results. It's a little bit counterintuitive to me anyways, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like why, why would you want to share your failures? But at, at the same time, that's the important thing to, uh, to showcase. That's the important thing to put out there because other people can not only support you, but can kind of see their own humanity and the gap that you're attempting to step into. Uh, Maverick, how many podcast episodes have we done now? 219. So, wow. so Sterling, there's 219 failures out there for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they never go as planned, huh? Oh, my God. Like in every one, you know, it's like you're your own worst critic. Do you find that? It's like it's good to be your own worst critic, but you also need to kind of, you know, balance your own inner critique. Otherwise, as you say, you're never going to get out of bed in the morning. But like – Every yeah. single podcast, I, I always get off. We go off off air, and I say to myself, "Hmm, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that, or whatever the case is." But when other people listen to to it, they they would never say the same thing. Do you know what I mean? Don't you yeah. find that? Don't you find that to be quite a limiting process of kind of self interrogation, and 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 also there's a whole bunch of fear that goes along with it. Like I. <laughs> I like, please, whatever you guys do, if you're listening to the show, do not listen to at least the first hundred episodes because <laughs> it's like, it's one like car wreck of podcasting. Fucking hell. It's horrible. It's a car wreck, dude. Yeah. A proper, proper car wreck. It's never the finished product. But, but the thing is, as you say, if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't put your failures out there, you're never going to achieve anything. Nothing is going to be too, like, I love this whole thing. What's the saying in business? It's like um, when it's like yeah, you 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 when the market uh, is like this, then I will do that. You know, right? <laughs> or or when if this, then that. You start you horse trading with your own success. You know, right? Um, and I love the fact that you know you should be putting out there. I mean, let me ask you this: Where have you failed in the last week, and what did you learn from it? Well, I, I'm the same as you. I am my hardest critic. Uh, but I also think there's some positive in that. I mean, every talk that I do on stage, I record and I look at it and to me, they can all be about 10 times better than they are. So what I'll do is I'll very purposefully, not just me, but with somebody that's going to support me and taking a look at that. And I'll go through and I'll articulate those things that I think could have been better or different or done another way and bounce them off the person next to me. And sometimes I'm right. Sometimes, yeah, I screw that up a little bit. It would have been more effective if I did this. But other times they're like, what are you talking about? I can't even see it. And I'm looking at the video. You know, so by kind of almost stepping out of ourselves and looking at the video, I, I don't know. Have you listened to all your podcasts as well? Fuck no. No. <laughs> Once they're done, I'm out. I don't even remember what we discussed. Honestly, don't. Like, it's a, it's a, 
yeah. it's the fear you know like i don't drink anymore or do any kind of substances at all um and yeah. um i used to so the so when so the fear basically in the kind of social drinking space is when you go out and you have way too much to drink you've got a mate like that right so maybe you've been that guy right. and then uh and then you wake up the next day but you don't remember how you got home there's like a distinct gap in your memory right so then if your mate really gives a shit about you he will use that and tell you stuff that you've got no way to basically know whether he's telling you the truth or not <laughs> so it's called the fear because it, he could you have to literally like trust the fact that this is what happens so you go through your phone you like you're looking for videos and photos and things like that trying to substantiate whether this thing happened you know what i mean anyway so it's called the fear <laughs> but yeah. but it's this idea that um you know as you say correctly say it's this human experience that ultimately you know <laughs> has its gaps in it. <laughs> it it does and it's <sighs> it's totally uncomfortable right to listen to your own podcast or one of my least favorite things to do is to listen to the talks that i give on stage even if they've had rave reviews right <laughs> to watch them sometimes will take me a day or a couple of days after i get the recording to be able to say okay i'm going to sit down and i'm going to watch it still and i've been doing talks for I don't know, three or four years now and hundreds of them during that time period. And still it takes something to kind of stomach my own humanity to say, okay, I'm going to watch myself on the screen and I'm going to have somebody next to me and we're going to critique it. Now, the only way to get measurably better is to do it very intentionally, right? If I, to go back to our marathon analogy, go out and just run until I feel like it every day. I'm probably not going to be ready for a marathon. I'm probably not going to run most days. A couple of days, I might run five miles. Other days, maybe one mile. Other days, maybe seven, right? If I'm just running it based on what I feel like, then I'm not going to make progress. But if I'm consistently measuring it and saying, okay, well, I'm going to do one mile today, two miles tomorrow, four miles the next day, or in my talks, I'm going to listen to the talk and I'm going to go through every single thing that I think could have been better. And articulate them, right? So I don't have a feeling about it. I have something that I can point to out in the world, and I've got somebody kind of validating it. That's how I'm going to improve myself. And I think that goes for everything in life, whether you're running a marathon, you're a professional speaker, um, you've got podcasts, anything else. You've got to look at it to say, well, if I'm committed to having it be better, how am I going to do that? Mm. Otherwise, it's just hope. Yeah. And hoping is hopeless, apparently. Hoping is hopeless. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's this interesting idea uh, from Carl Jung. And he said, uh, the jester is the predecessor to the savior. Or said in kind of my language, you would say the fool is the predecessor to innovation. If you're going to start something new, you're probably not going to be very good at it at first. Right? If I'm going to run a marathon and I've never run competitively before, I'm probably going to be pretty awful. Mm -hmm. Or if I've never spoken in public before, I'm probably not going to be that great the first time. But our biology, the power of humanity is so great. You throw yourself into the action. You do those things. You're going to learn so quickly the first couple of times. You know, you put somebody that doesn't know how to swim in the water and you teach them, they'll learn really, really quickly. 
especially once they get past their fear of getting in the water in the first place, because that's the worst part of it. I've been avoiding it for 20 years and it's really scary getting in. You get in, you're like, ah, oh, this isn't so bad. Yeah. I've got a, a podcast coming out in, in a couple of months now. And have you ever heard of William Hung from American Idol? No. Who's that? Heard of William Hung. Who's that? So, so he was on American Idol and he became famous because he sang Ricky Martin, She Bangs so poorly that he became like internationally famous. This is going back 10 or 15 years, probably. Famous for a failure. And so I got a chance to interview this guy because I watched the video along with a lot of the rest of the world to look at how bad a singer he was. And it was kind of funny to watch. And I met him and I realized this guy has kind of a superpower. Not only was it in American Idol where he threw himself into it with no training or anything else, obviously. Mm -hmm. He got some record deals out of that, by the way. But he's done it all throughout his life. He did it in sports when he was a kid. And now he's in the World Series of Poker and he just throws himself in and he knows he's going to learn. And he's so willing to that he's got these incredible results. And I really come to look up to the guy. I think it's really an incredible thing because it's hard to look like a fool, even if you want the breakthrough. Let me see if I can get this. I got this guy on YouTube here. So the one thing I will say about yeah. William Hung is that um, he has his own Wikipedia page. So what the hell? Right. <laughs> he does one minute 19 of failing and then he gets his own Wikipedia page. But no, I have to suffer here. Hold on. Yeah. Yes. Talk to me. Tell me your name. You blow me off like it's all the same. You lit it fierce and I'm taking away like a bomb. Yeah, baby. She bangs, she bangs. Oh, baby. When she moves, she moves. I go crazy cause she looks like a flop, but she stings like a bee. Okay, enough of that shit. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> that is horrendous, right. it, dude. It, it's something... That, that people point to as a failure and, you know, as far as singing quality, I, I guess it is. But at the same time, the positive that has come from that from him is tremendous. You know, he's got record contracts. He's a global keynote speaker. He's doing all these things from what you would say is a failure. Mm. Well, is it actually a failure or was that to what we were saying in the beginning? Is that actually the breakthrough? Well, so the, the get, exactly right. So he kind of embodies everything you've just said, right? That he put him, he put his failure out there, right? Right. right. He literally put right. his failure. That was his thing. I mean, Simon Carl was dying, and I don't think I've ever seen him crouch so so far deep into a chair before <laughs> in my life. And he's done some serious right. crouching, you know. Right, and it's. I think it's a great example. It kind of demonstrates what's available to all of us. You know, if we're willing to put ourselves on the line for significant positive gain for ourselves or even more powerfully others, whether it's singing or dancing or running or, you know, personal relationships or business or the difference you want to make in the world, as we can put ourselves on the line for that and share the good, the bad, the ugly, especially the ugly, we're going to have an incredible life and we're probably going to be pretty happy about it. Exactly, I I love that, and on that uh, I want that bombshell. I want to um, kind of ask you uh, this question. I've already asked you this, but why do you do what you do? What yeah, gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, you nailed it. It's not for me. It's for others. 
It's the difference that I can make in other people's lives, whether it's in business or some of the personal coaching that we do, because I can see the potential in other people. And I want to be part of supporting other people, other businesses, the world to be able to realize some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Love that sentiment. Uh, See, I was right. I was proven right in the end. You were right. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think you're right. I think it's something that a lot of people that have achieved higher levels of performance will tell you some yeah. version of that i know well it's the it's the whole saying like uh, uh, he with the strong enough why can bear anyhow you heard of that one exactly so exactly. One, one other thing i just wanted to mention yeah the, the, can you remember yeah. the day when you first heard your voice recorded and played back to you or can you remember the first time you saw yourself speak on camera that day um, the first time in Singapore, I do remember. Really? Yes. Why Singapore yeah. of all places? I thought it might be like well, in front uh, of the bathroom mirror or something. <laughs> well, that, that was the first place that I, uh, you know, spoke in recent history anyways. Okay. It was the time where I was terrified to speak in public and that was the time that I did it. So I think during the talk, I maybe blacked out a little bit, but I do remember listening to the recording and being just like, Oh my God, I can't believe that's what I did. Didn't it freak you out about how you sounded? Like how your voice actually sounds. Have you had that? When you record yourself and like, anyway, it's just like, it's yeah. a mind fuck. And then people like, they go, oh no, my voice sounds so bad. <laughs> or look at me, I like, look at my hands. I'm like, keep touching my face or whatever. And then they, you know, they kind of make up this yeah. narrative about why they shouldn't continue. Yeah. Well, there's kind of this funny hack I learned from Arthur Joseph, who's my voice coach now. And if you put your, you cup your hands around your ears, you'll actually hear yourself like other people hear you because we hear ourselves speaking differently than everybody else hears us. And well, that's part of the reason we don't like the recordings because it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like we know ourselves to sound. Mm-hmm. So if you put your hands like that, yeah. It gives you some access to it. I'm going to do that as soon as we, we go offline. <laughs> Sterling Hawkins, thanks, buddy, for... Yeah, it's uh, cool. It's trippy at first. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay, I'm going to give that a shot. I wish I got headphones on, but uh, but I'll definitely yeah. give that a shot. So listen, Sterling, um, listen, thanks so much for spending the last hour with me, dude. It's been uh, great to kind of talk about some real stuff. And um, yeah, man, hopefully this coronavirus thing isn't going to be around for too much longer. Uh, yeah, man, I know that's uh, messing with your income stream, right? So, um, so yeah, but it's uh, but by the way, you're not the first person. Eh? Who did we have on your Gertz? What's his name again? Hard. What's his name? Leonhard. Leonhard. Gertz Leonhard. Gert Leonhard. <laughs> uh, he's also he's a future speaker as yeah. well, and he had he's you know he was also complaining about China and uh, all of his gigs being cancelled and that. So, yeah, hopefully you know hopefully yeah. it doesn't stick around for too long. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Sterling. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Been a great talk with you, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, likewise, dude. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook.
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.